This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Well, good morning, Sunset. It is so good to be back in my home church. I spent the last two Sundays preaching at Mountain Park Church. It was wonderful to see uh, how God is working in other churches. They're kind of in a season of renewal, and I uh, just really appreciated uh, being among them and ministering to them. But it's so good to be back. Um, I need to confess that I stole the title uh, from this series, It's Okay to Not Be Okay, from Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. They did a series like this a number of years ago. Though they chose different topics to address and a bit of a different angle, And I know that some of you are going to think, okay, Barbara's doing this series because now she's a professional counselor. (laughs) And that does have some impact on it, no doubt about it. But in reality, um, it's not the whole reason. In reality, this series has been 25 or more years in the making. But I was definitely not ready to give it because generally speaking, I was not okay with being not okay. I hope I'm more ready now. I see this series as kind of my swan song. It's been an immense privilege to step back in and serve you this last year. It's been a delight uh, to be responsible only for feeding you. That's the gig of the century, I'm here to tell you. No other responsibility, just feed the people. But this season is drawing to a close, and this series is an intentional capstone on this time. And I look forward in August to sitting where you're sitting and being ministered to by Pastor Steve and Pastor Mike. Why do we need a series on how it's okay to not be okay? And the answer is very simple. Because we are not okay when we're not okay or others are not okay. Why is this? Now, the reasons are complex. They're diverse. Uh, They're sometimes very personal. They're sometimes rooted in our families of origin and how they dealt with not being okay, with life experience. Some of it's been fueled by social media and the fact that we can all create a presence that looks like we're okay. There are lots and lots of reasons. But let me give you a few. This is kind of my top 10 list uh, of reasons why we are not okay when someone else is not okay. Okay? Number one, I'm just not comfortable with not okay. Number two, I don't know what to do or say. And do I have to say something? Number three, I don't know how to fix them. This is probably the primary reason we're not okay with people being not okay. Number five, I don't have time for this. Number six, I'm scared I might have to get involved. Number seven, they're not okay might remind me that there are things in my life that are not okay, and I'm trying to forget about all that. Number eight, no one is ever okay when I'm not okay. Number nine, I'm okay today, but I might not be tomorrow, and I don't want to think about that. Number 10, if I'm okay with someone who's not okay, won't that just encourage them to keep being not okay? Have you felt any of these things? Am I hitting you on the head here? So, 
do you know what we do when we're not okay with others when they're not okay or ourselves when we're not okay? Particularly when it's us that is not okay. Do you know what we do? We fake fine. And we would prefer that everyone else would just fake fine as well. Hello, how are you today? Oh, I'm fine. Just fine. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. That's what we want, oftentimes. Esther Fleece was a speaker and a writer about millennials and faith and leadership and family. She worked with a large, well-known Christian organization. She was uh, listed among Christianity Today's top 50 women shaping the church and culture and CNN's five women in religion to watch. And for most of her life, she believed that she could bypass all of the painful emotions of her broken past by just shutting them down. And she did it well. She was an achiever, an overcomer on the fast track to success by the world standards and by Christian standards. But here's what was happening. By silencing her pain, her not okay, she was robbing herself of the opportunity to be healed. And this led her to several turning points and then to writing a book called uh, No More Faking Fine, Ending the Pretending. And I highly recommend it. She says, when hard things, painful things happen to us, our first response, for many reasons again, is to fake fine. And this led her to an exterior of success, strength, invulnerability, no weakness. Everything was just fine. She says, I assumed God had healed my heart because I couldn't feel pain anymore. Instead, I had simply mastered the art of suppressing every emotion I ever felt. And I gave God credit for a healing I had never experienced. I was faking fine, not intentionally, not even consciously, but I was really not fine. You see, one of the great problems with shutting down what we perceive as negative emotions, or when we shut down sadness, or when we shut down pain and suffering, the problem is we might also be pushing Jesus away. Because as Isaiah says, he came as a suffering servant. Esther Fleece, after taking a break from her meteoric rise to success to deal with her pain and past, realized that this is exactly what she was doing. She was pushing away the very person that she loved and served. And she was perpetuating the false belief that so many have that to follow Jesus means that we're fine. She says people are leaving the church because they are being told, non-verbally, often unconsciously, that their pain isn't welcome, that there's no place for their pain when they rush through our doors. It appears that we are keeping disappointments and heartache inside the counseling offices instead of expressing them in corporate worship or even from the pulpit. What if our leaders shared with us their hurts and fears so that we would not feel alone in ours? What if our leaders, um, what if our pastors opened up about their unanswered prayers? The church is at its healthiest when it is a safe place to lament, to heal, 
and to worship. Why is this so important? It's important because, as Esther Fleece says, faking fine almost killed my faith. And I don't want to see us as a church be a party to killing others' faith or killing our own faith. Now, I realize there are a few of you that still may be a little bit skeptical. You grew up with that sense that Christians are supposed to be okay, fine, all the time. After all, the joy of the Lord is my strength, and the Bible does say that. And we should praise the Lord always, rejoice always, which we often, by the way, misinterpret as the absence of any negative or darker feelings. But this is not what God intended. He didn't intend us to see it that way. And this is not what the psalmist ever intended. How do we know? We know because there is plenty of room in the Bible for lament. And what is lament? It is scripture's way of saying, I'm not okay. Let me give you two examples of scripture that tells us that it is okay to not be okay. And the first is found in Jeremiah chapter 20. Let me set this up a little bit. So Jeremiah was a prophet, and famously he was known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. And uh, I know you'll think that's weird, but it is. Found a lot of solace and, and comfort in the pages of Jeremiah. In this particular uh, little journal entry that I'm going to read, what we discover is that uh, Jeremiah has been called by God to tell the people to turn around, that they're headed down a path that will lead to their destruction. And he's called them to come back to God, but they're not responding very well, and it's getting him in a lot of trouble. And so he takes some time out, from what he's been called to do, and he sits down and he records what he's feeling and what he's going through, and uh, here's what he says. First of all, he says, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. In other words, you lied to me, God. This is not how it was supposed to turn out. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak and I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction, telling the people, if you keep going the way you're going, here's what's going to happen. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, so he's very honest with God, and that's part of what a lament is, very honest. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, he's saying, if I say, I quit God, that's it. I'm not doing this anymore. Then he says, the word of God is like a, in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. In other words, he said, I don't want to do this anymore, God, but I feel like I'm compelled to. I hear many whispering, terror on every side, denounce him, let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, oh, perhaps he'll be deceived, and then we'll prevail over him and take our revenge on him. His following God was costing him friendship, closeness of other people. Now listen to verse 11. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced, and their honor will never be, dishonor will never be forgotten. 
Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I've committed my cause. Verse 13, sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Now, I don't know how much time, uh, you know, passes between verse 13 and verse 14, but I want you to notice the trajectory here emotionally. Verse 14, cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. In other words, I wish I hadn't been born. Cursed be the man who brought my mother, the father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb. I wish I had died in childbirth. I wish I'd never been born. My mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my day in shame? And I'll never forget the first time I heard that read. I was at a conference, Dr. Larry Crabb, Christian psychologist, and he said, perhaps, perhaps, that is a better picture of spiritual maturity than any of us want to believe. The ups and the downs, the positive emotion, the honesty with God, the darker emotion. One more example, and for this one, we're going to go over to Psalms. Psalm 88. I've used this before, so apologies to those of you who heard me talk about this, but it bears repeating. I remember where I was sitting in a Coco's coffee shop. They don't, they don't have those anymore. Uh, so many years ago, I don't even want to tell you because it'll date me. And uh, when I found this psalm, I had been reading through the psalms. It was a dark part of my kind of season of my own life. There'd been some major reversals and some disappointments. And here I was sitting because they had 10 cent coffee and I was poor uh, in Cocos having, reading this Psalm. And, uh, and this is what it said. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles. And my life draws near to death. In other words, I feel like I'm dying. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead. I might as well be dead. Like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit. He dares blame God. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You're angry with me, God. That's what it feels like. And you have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made them repulsive and made me repulsive to them. I've lost friendships and relationships. I'm confined and I cannot escape. In other words, I feel like I'm locked in a cage. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do the spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness and destruction? Now, he's not talking here about eternal life, so don't read that into this. He's talking about how he feels at this moment. And he feels like, I I might as well be dead and cut off from you forever. But I cry to you for help, Lord. 
In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death, and I've borne your terrors and am in despair. And your wrath, in other words, all my life, I've struggled with whatever this dark thing is. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood, and they have completely engulfed me. And the Bible I was reading that morning in Cocos, the last verse was on the other page. So I turned the page. My assumption is that he's going to do what David does in so many of his psalms, almost all of them, where suddenly he bursts into praise because that's how most of the psalms go. They go like this, and then they come up. This is the last verse. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. The end. And I remember thinking to myself, who wrote this psalm? Oh, my gosh. So I went back to see. It was written by a man named Heman. So then I thought, and this is before we had all the electronic, this is how long ago this was, all the electronic stuff where I could have, you know, gone into Bible Gateway or some other program and typed in his name and seen, you know, how many other psalms he wrote. I didn't have that. So I literally sat there and went through every psalm to see if I could attribute any of the other psalms to him. Nope. And I thought, well, I know why they only let him write one. Because <laughs> it's a downer. Why would this be in Scripture? Why would God allow this kind of expression of pain and suffering? Lament is simply our most honest expression of pain. And lament is a pathway Honest expression to God makes way for God to come and work his real healing. The more we try to not to forget about it, and the more we don't express it to God, the less healing comes. Now, who was Heman and what caused this dark lament? Well, this is really interesting. It took me a number of years to figure this out. Heman was one of the chief worship leaders. He served in both the court of David and the court of Solomon. And he probably mentored Asaph, who wrote many of the Psalms. And, um, and, it, and he served at a time in Israel's history that was safe and secure. The country was not at war. And, and it, as he served with Solomon, he served as the temple was being built in a place of beauty and really decadence in many ways. So we know that the pain and the suffering was not outside of him. It was inside of him. Now, I want to be very, very careful here. But I would assume, through my lens today, that we're talking about a lifelong struggle with depression. That he felt this weight of depression. What we know about him is, though, that God gave him a family. And he was seen as a wisdom figure. In Israel, despite this lifelong battle with not okay. One last quick example Jesus. Jesus was drawn to and attracted to those who were not okay. Others didn't want to be around those who were sick or lame, lepers or outcasts, but Jesus was always drawn to them. Why? Because Jesus is okay with our not okay. He understands. 
He was not, he himself was not okay in a way that's almost beyond what we could imagine or what we've ever experienced. In the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, he said, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Was he thinking about Psalm 88? Was he thinking about Jeremiah 20? He knew those scriptures. Luke, in Luke 22, in the same setting, Gethsemane, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus was lamenting. He was telling his heavenly father that if there was any way that he would not have to face this, would he be willing to release him from it? He was telling him that he didn't want to walk and die on the cross. Or perhaps even more, he didn't want to carry the weight of our sins and be separated from his father if he didn't have to be. But of course, we know that he also added, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus understands not okay because he was not okay. And he asked his disciples to stay with him and bear some of the burden of that, and they could not. They went to sleep. They had no comprehension of how not okay he was. And of course, he he was not okay with doing the very thing that he knew he would have to obediently do to bring us into a relationship with God and the hope that someday we will truly be far more than okay. Okay would be settling, that we would be whole and healed. And I believe Jesus is asking us to be with others just as he asked his disciples to be with him. What does this mean exactly? What does it mean for us to be okay with others not okay? Well, for the next four weeks, we're going to look at only a few of the ways that we can be not okay. Can't possibly do all of them. We're going to look at anxiety, disappointment or anger with God, loneliness, and having a painful past. Now, if you're here and you have anxiety, you struggle with anxiety, or you're disappointed or angry with God, or you have a painful past, or you feel lonely, we're not going to tell you how to fix that. Because that would take a whole lot more than 25 or 30 minutes. What we are going to do, the purpose, and, and that's not the purpose of our series. What we're going to do is talk primarily to those of you who don't deal with anxiety every day to talk with those of you who maybe don't have a painful past. I mean, there's parts because we all have something painful in our past, but it's not overwhelming to you. We're going to talk to those of you who are not disappointed or angry with God. At least right now you're not. And we're going to talk to those of you who are not lonely. Your life is full and help you know how to walk alongside and be with and minister to those who do deal with those things. And I long for us as a church to learn how to do this. And there's not going to be any campaign or program or ministry started to do this. We're going to ask God for a change in our hearts that will allow us to be with and build relationships 
and engage with those who are not okay. I had, I heard, a, read a story about a, I think it was a worship pastor, but an associate pastor from a church who was away on vacation with his family. And he decided that they would, he and his family would go visit this small church. He was on the East Coast, he was from the West Coast, and he decided, well, we'll go visit this little church in the community and, um, and be with, you know, go experience church in this little church. So it was about a church of about 100 people or so, and they went in and to the church, and, you know, he said, some of it I expected, you know, there was the, uh, the soloist that didn't quite have the pitch exactly correct, and, you know, they sang from a hymn book and went through in a couple of contemporary courses, but there wasn't any band, and, you know, it was pretty simple service, and, but he said, I, you know, I was okay, and then the pastor got up to preach. It was an older gentleman, and he started out seemingly very strong, but then this visiting pastor began to notice that he would kind of occasionally get lost a little bit, and, uh, and he couldn't follow him real well. And then he, would, then he would really kind of get lost, and people in the congregation began to kind of help him like they would remind him where he was and the passage he was reading, or they would say a couple words that would help kind of redirect him and get him on. And this pastor is growing increasingly frustrated, irritated, and finally he's like just angry that anyone would allow somebody to preach this way. I mean, he came from a church where they believed in excellent preaching and excellent worship, and he understood it was a small church, but this was... He couldn't even follow this man. And he wasn't being ministered to at all by the service. So the service was over, and he was still feeling very irritated and a bit confused, actually. Of course, the congregation was very warm and very welcoming. And so one of them said, well, you know, I hope you enjoyed our service this morning. Perhaps I should explain something. He said, our pastor was diagnosed with Alzheimer's about four months ago. And we see the decline. He won't be able to preach very much longer. But as long as he can, we want him to be able to. It helps him so much. And we love to just love on him. That's a church that is okay with someone being not okay. May God do that here. Father, We want to be a church that's okay with people who are not okay. We want to be people that can lean into our own struggling emotions. We want to be able to sit with you on the days that we're not okay and say, I know you understand. I know you're here with me. You understand this more than I do. Father, we want to stop faking fine. We want to lean into you as our suffering servant. And we want to learn to love in holy ways. Teach us in this series, Father. And now as we go to your table, or as we hear this song, we pray that you would open our hearts to listen to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
Okay, there we go. We fed you with the body and blood of Christ. We're going to feed you again with pancakes. So you will go home today full. And uh, we delight in that. I was thinking as I was sitting over there, one last thought on uh, being okay with not with others who are not okay. Psalmist says that the Lord is near those whose hearts are breaking. When we move toward those who are not okay, we are actually moving toward God. Go in 